This week, we look at new YouTube second screen interactivity, CBS's 60 Minutes Fast Channel, and RSN beats Sinclair to streaming, the Weather Channel simulcasting online, and the BBC goes digital first. Listen on to find out more. quick note, we apologise for Will's poor audio quality this week. We were forced to use a low quality backup due to double recording failures. We'll be back to normal next week. And welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Bill Richmond from Video News and that was Colin Dixon from Industry Media at the beginning there. Hey Colin, uh, we've got a NBA Finals starting Tonight we're recording on Thursday evening between our two hometown teams. What do you think? <laughs> well, I know the, the the folks in the local paper are certainly pretty darn confident that the Warriors are going to beat the Celtics. So I think I might have to actually tune in and, and watch some of the games, Will. I know you're not a big Hoops fan, but pretty big deal. It is. It is. And uh, I tell you what else is a pretty... I tell, you, I tell you what else is a pretty big deal... Uh, the upcoming CTV Ad Summit on June 14th, right? Yes, bigger than the NBA Finals, actually, is, the, <laughs> <laughs> is Video News' Connected TV Advertising Summit, which is going to be the afternoons of June 14th and 15th. Complimentary registration, over 35 speakers on eight different sessions. Really excited about a lot of what we're going to be talking about, really digging deep into what's happening with Connected the advertising you're going to be moderating a terrific session and uh there if you want to give a quick shout out to who's on it and what you guys are talking about yeah so i'm certainly pretty pumped about my session will it's ad supported streaming subject that i just love talking about and i've got a great panel sean makijani who is with nbcu tejas shah who's film rise katina papas walter who's the Roku channel, and Bill Condom from Zumo. Zumo. Uh, so it's going to be a really great discussion, and I hope people can join us. Absolutely. And uh, again, just go to videonews.com. There are lots of promotions there for the CTV Ad Summit. Complimentary registration. Hope that you'll be able to join us. And we are going to get started with the podcast today, Colin. Uh, we have four stories that caught our eye this week and we're going to kind of do a round robin of them and you are going to get us started with a very clever new youtube feature i am will and you know i don't think i think people might have missed this and this is kind of a really cool feature because one of the things that i've seen lots of data on recently is that most of us when we watch TV, are watching uh, with a second device in our hands. And in fact, uh, Google claims that 80% of people said they use another digital device while watching TV. And of course, the other piece here is how successful YouTube has become on, se- on TV. Um, there are many, many people now watching YouTube on their smart TVs. And so... What they've really done is they've sort of connected these two dots. And what they say is that they that they actually did some research on what people were doing when they had those digital devices in their hands and they were watching YouTube 
YouTube on their TV. And what they found was pretty surprising. They said uh, that they were also engaging with the video. So doing things like liking and subscribing to a channel um, or adding, adding a video to their favorites list via their phone. So this is pretty funny. That, that means that they're actually watching the video on the TV, but they're also sort of semi-synchronized on their phone with that same video and the producers of that video. So I guess what YouTube has done is they've done what, what might be considered the obvious thing. They've connected the two. So they say that with this new feature that while you're watching YouTube on your TV, if you open the YouTube on your phone, that it will automatically, it will detect the fact that you've got YouTube running on your TV and it will give you the option to connect your phone to your TV. So the two experiences now are connected. And what does that mean? Well, that means when you start watching a video on the TV, that it's going to trigger that video on your phone as well. And why would you want to do this? Well, this gives you the opportunity to do what probably many of us are doing anyway, and that is browsing for new episodes by this provider, liking the channel, subscribing to the channel. Very often they're telling you in the video, I've noticed, they're telling you, oh, you know, if you want to subscribe or you want more information, I put a widget on the screen and it's never on the screen on the TV but it is on the screen on the phone. So bearing in mind how successful YouTube is now on television, I think this is a killer feature, Will. I can't wait to give it a try. I plan to give it a try this weekend. Uh, and I think this is, you know, I've been working in, in interactive TV for probably two decades, and this is how interactivity uh, should be done. I've always thought that the phone is the killer interactive TV box not the tv itself and linking in this way i just think is really creative and uh, I'm, i can't wait to give it a try yeah i i agree with you Colin. i think it seems really clever and i like the idea that it captures the native capabilities of the phone of the app on the phone and the way that people are already using those native capabilities rather than trying as you i think said well you know rather than trying to kind of force fit users to do something on their tvs that it's not really natural for people to do and as a result it creates frustration and you know an unsynced uh, user experience so i i think it and it sounds like youtube did a lot of research on this also a lot of homework made out as they do with every feature they launch for sure um in their ui so i i like this and i'm looking forward to getting it a spin also yeah, me, me too, Will. And I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I can think of many, many examples of how I would use this. One of the things that we love to watch is we, we love to watch cooking shows. There's a lot of cooking shows. I like Rainbow Plant Life and I like um, Gaz Oakley. He's another great chef on YouTube. And very often that they have a recipe included in the, in the notes, which you just can't get to from the TV. And so boom, there it is. By connecting the two experiences, it's just ridiculously easy to grab. So anyway, we should we should sort of bookmark this and maybe come back and tell the audience how we uh, enjoyed using the feature once we get a chance to use it. But I think that's probably enough on that. You have another very interesting announcement this week, right, about our friends at CBS? 
Right. I was intrigued to read this week about CBS News planning to CBS News and Pluto planning to launch a 60 minutes fast channel. I think it's fair to describe what they're doing as a fast channel. They're going to be mining the archive, the deep and rich archive of 60 minutes to launch a dedicated channel on Pluto that's going to be uh, 60 minutes 24-7. And this is kind of back to what you were saying about your uh, upcoming session at CPD Ad Summit, the enthusiasm for fast channels. I think this makes a lot of sense. This is really premium quality content, and it's um, highly monetizable. And we know that viewers are looking for this type of lean back content where the content just schools out for them as opposed to having to make an ongoing series of on-demand choices. And certainly Netflix pioneered that a long time ago by automatically playing the next episode of the show that you're watching, that you're binge viewing. And so I think that's become pretty popular. And I, I like this move. I, I think it makes a ton of sense for them. What do you think? I think it's great, Will. Listen, 60 Minutes has been going forever, for decades. They must have one of the richest libraries of interviews with celebrities out there. And the great thing about their interviews are they're in-depth. I don't think they're monetizing these inside of Paramount+. Plus. I could be wrong there, but I've certainly never, ever noticed uh, them, them promoting 60-minute content inside of Paramount CBS. So this stuff is basically just sitting around in their archive, in their library. And it's great idea for them to cut it loose, create a couple of couple or three free um, themed channels. Um, I wouldn't if I were them, I wouldn't just launch one. I, I'd launch several uh, that I think I think that could be extremely effective. And you're right. I think this is a great advertising vehicle because it's the sort of place that you're just going to come back when you're in the mood for that type of content. What a great option. So I think this is going to attract a lot of brands that are really interested in advertising around the content. Uh, so, you know, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm very enthusiastic this week about our first two stories. I think it's a great move. I hope they don't restrict it just to Pluto TV. I think there's an opportunity for this for them to monetize this content much more broadly with other providers like Zumo, like um, Samsung TV Plus, the Roku channel. If I were them, I would be launching these channels across the fast linear ecosystem with all of the major players. I think it's going to be a great little money earner for them, uh, help monetize that content. And I think people are just going to love using it. I think we're on the same page with that one, Colin. So let us move on to the third story that we caught this week, which you're going to lead on, but is a uh, involves my local <laughs> Red Sox and Bruins uh, regional sports network here, a massive regional sports network. It, it does, Will. And, you know, uh, we, I think we've talked on the podcast before that Sinclair, which has spent, oh, my goodness, $9 billion, I think, on Fox's regional sports network, and is having trouble monetizing them through pay television. They've already announced that they're going to be launching a Bally Sports network online. 
uh, and they they are planning on doing it. I think relatively soon. I think uh, in in this quarter, or at least at the beginning of next quarter, is when they said that they were planning on launching it. Well, they've been pipped at the post because the New England Sports Network has already launched their RSN, which is carrying Boston Red Sox games um, and the Bruins to to viewers outside of a traditional pay TV subscription. So. You can now get this if you don't have pay TV. It's going to cost you, though. It's called NESN 360, um, and it's only available to fans in the New England area, but it's going to cost you $30 a month, uh, and you're going to get a first-month promotion of a dollar and an annual subscription cost of $330. But, uh, boy, that sounds pretty pricey to me. Were you going to jump in? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Nesson was dropped by YouTube TV last year, which is the provider that I have had, as our listeners probably know, for a bunch of years now. And it's painful to lose the Red Sox games. I'm not really a hockey fan, so I don't miss the Bruins, but it is nice to watch the Red Sox, although this season the Celtics have been kind of soaking up all the air time here in the Boston area. Uh, as they go on to the finals, and as we were saying before, um, but yeah, it's it's. I, I think it's probably a smart move by Nesson. I don't know how deep the penetration is going to be. Nesson is still available on the traditional PTV operators throughout New England. It's really the virtuals that don't have it. So you're probably, you know, if you're a cord cutter and you're a Red Sox fan, a Bruins fan. And you're primarily watching Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, whatever, and you want to get your sports fix. I think $30 a month is probably reasonable, actually. Um, But outside of that core group, I don't know how um, mainstream this service is going to be, but we'll see. Yeah, um, and another another provider that dropped uh, NESN was uh, Dish Network. They dropped it last year. So they're, they're, it looks like they have a problem with online, right? If, they, if somebody does drop pay TV, they really can't get an ESN any other way than, than subscribing directly. So it does make a lot of sense for them to do this. The price, I agree, it does sound pretty pricey, but if you're a big fan, maybe not so much. Maybe that's um, a pretty reasonable amount to pay. Maybe if you're in that area, why don't you let us know what you think, if, if you think it's too too much or too little or what you think about that i will say that there are a couple of features that they say they're going to be adding in the coming months one is 4k with high dynamic range and i think that's I'm kind of surprised they're launching without that the other thing i'm kind of scratching my head on will they say they're going to launch a cloud dvr and i, I really don't understand this because why do they even need it why don't they just automatically as part of this service make all of the games available on demand i did there's absolutely no reason why they should or they shouldn't maybe this goes back to license agreements that they have with the existing pay tv providers in the area so you know comcast does have this so maybe they're restricted there but why would i have to tell them to record the game why wouldn't they just show me replays of whatever games have happened that's so that's a bit of a mystery to me uh, why they would do that it's a good question and I would like to believe that the new Nesson streaming service will have some type of a 
um, you know, auto record feature like what we have, what I have at least on the YouTube TV, where I can basically record any of the series of different events that are playing out. So that would presumably allow subscribers to record every game and know that it's available there in the cloud, which may get around whatever licensing issue that you're highlighting may exist. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just pretty confusing, right? Why would why would I even need to tell it to record? But at least let's hope it is as simple as it is, say, on YouTube TV, which is kind of ridiculously easy to use. You just say, you just say you like a team, and it automatically grabs all the games for that team. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they're doing that, why not just automatically record them in, in the first place? I don't know. Uh, but this is this is kind of interesting, right? Well, because it just goes to show um, it shows increasingly that premium sports are becoming available online. I know that there's been persistent rumor that Apple has purchased the rights. They say, apparently, according to the rumors, they've actually purchased the rights to NFL Sunday Ticket. And I've even heard this week that that somebody thinks that they are throwing in NFL Plus, which I think we mentioned the other week, uh, which is a new streaming service from the NFL, which basically is duplicating the rights that it has with the NFL channel online. Um, that they're going to toss that in for with the uh, rights to the NFL Sunday ticket, and of course NFL Plus is really targeted at mobile. So I think that's a pretty good a pretty good fit with uh, with Apple, with their focus on mobile and the iPhones, etc. So really continuing to loosen the the hold of pay television, traditional pay TV on sports and. It's gradually inching out there and being more possible to be a sports fan and not have a pay TV subscription. I think that's the key, Colin. We've talked about that before. More and more sports is, are leaking out into the streaming world. They are. They are. But uh, we have one more story that we wanted to talk about. Yeah, one more leakage out of the pay TV world into the streaming world. Not as high profile as Red Sox and Bruins, maybe, although it certainly has its audiences that the Weather Channel announced that it is launching a direct consumer uh, streaming channel and it is going to be $3 per month. It's going to carry all the weather programming, it sounds like. And I think for, you know, once again, for people who have cut the cord and in this case are weather junkies the ability to get all that great weather channel content on their CTVs and elsewhere is going to be a um, you know really nice thing to have. Yeah, I think so too. And as you say, this is, I think this is the first time the Weather Channel has done anything like this. And it, to me, it just makes a lot of sense, particularly for this type of content, right? Because this is one of those channels that you really want to watch live because weather is an ongoing phenomena of course uh, and so this this gets you if you don't have a pay tv subscription is if you're a weather junkie and i'm sure there are plenty of us out there that are this gets you what you want right on your phone and and i it comes with a whole bunch of features which i really like will you're going to get access to their local forecasts real-time weather maps and the doppler radar maps you're going to get weather alerts so it really comes with a whole bunch of features that I think will make it maybe a natural for your phone to have on your phone. Um, the other thing that they're also doing is they're not leaving cable customers. If you have access to the weather channel with your cable package or your satellite package, 
then you can authenticate for free with the app. So they'll give you an opportunity there to enter your credentials, your pay television login credentials for the app and continue to watch free. Uh, so I, I really, you know, this is a very interesting move and I, I can't believe that more providers aren't doing this. I guess it's just a question of having the right to do it uh, when they negotiate with the pay TV operators. But it seems like a, a big win for the Weather Channel and uh, an interesting option if that is your predilection, if you love the weather. Which millions of people do and more and more of those millions are cord cutters. So this is going to be, I think, a very attractive offer, especially with $3 a month. $3 is a lot more affordable than $30 a month, which is what we were just talking about nesting yeah. for. So obviously two completely different types of content uh, that um, is a given. Uh, but anyway, I think those are the four stories that we wanted to cover this week, Colin. I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to add on any of them or anything else that you've been thinking about this week. Well, there was one other thing that I thought was um, pretty interesting, Will. Uh, that is, you know, as, as the audience knows, if you listen to last week's podcast, I was just in the UK and uh, at the Connected TV conference there, Connected TV Summit there, that is. And one of the interesting things this week is the BBC, which is the uh, national public service broadcaster in the UK, Boy, it's being put through the ringer. Lots of changes going on at the BBC. And a, a while ago, I, I thought this was pretty interesting. They uh, Back in 2016, they shut down their youth-oriented uh, BBC3 broadcast TV channel. And this is an over-the-air channel also carried by all of the pay TV systems over there as well. And they shut it down because they saw that the audience was migrating online. And they basically relaunched BBC Three as a as an online channel. Well, that didn't work out so well. So they actually last uh, earlier this year they reversed themselves, and they relaunched BBC Three as a broadcast channel. And apparently that hasn't worked out too well either. Well, uh, it looks like the BBC is now becoming a digital first broadcaster they are really reorientating themselves around digital as their primary distribution medium and uh, they're also being asked to cut costs and they're probably going to have their funding changed in the next five or six years uh, because the way the BBC is funded is each home pays as it were a tax they call it the the television license uh, and that money basically goes to BBC to provide funding for it um, and that's going to change. And so part of this digital first strategy is for them to save money. And so I have a feeling that BBC Three will probably head, head back online after just moving back to broadcast. Uh, they're also shutting down some channels, BBC Four, and C which is a documentaries and factual channel, and CBBC, which is a kids programming channel. And those are basically going to be shut down and the content is going to be moved online. So... Big changes for the national broadcaster in the UK. Uh, so they're also joining this massive migration whole scale on Lloyd, uh, online, Will. And I'm going to completely defer to you about the BBC, Colin. I don't have much to add on the subject, but it sounds like it's um, consistent with everything else we've been talking about this during this podcast. 
Yeah, it sure is. And I think um, although it's challenging, I think it's also an, an exciting change for them. I think that they will probably be better positioned to serve the British public. And I'm hoping that maybe they might give us access in the States to a little bit more of the content than they currently do. Uh, uh, we get some through BritBox and I would like to see more of it available. Maybe they can have a pay service over here. I don't know. But anyway, I think we're just about out of time for this week. I think we are, Colin. So good chatting. We're covering all these different stories with you this week. And thanks everyone for listening in to uh, this week's edition of Inside Street. And we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved. <laughs>